Visioneers, Michael Roberts here, Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is a successful plastics manufacturer who's managed to figure out how to get all of his dominoes in order. This is Small Business Celebration. Join us as we learn from successful business owners and successful business leaders about who they are, from where their business has grown, what they have learned, and where their successful business is going. I'm your host, Michael I. Roberts, and we're going to learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Hello, Visioneers. Our guest today is Tommy Babe, the owner of Domino Plastics. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Thank you, Michael. And for Visioneers who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and what is it that you do. Okay. Domino Plastics is a job shop. We manufacture custom plastic products for restaurant industry, for pretty much every industry ranging from Fortune 500 companies down to small mom and pop printers. Everything from companies like Red Robin and BJ's Pizza yes, all the way down to Carla Cope's Cafe. Yes. What kinds of plastic products does Domino Plastic make? Historically, it's been mostly vinyl and plastic sleeves, adhesive back, menu covers. You mentioned BJ's. We make all the menu covers for BJ's, and we make the same for Red Robin when they use the sleeve-style uh, menus. Mostly, I like to say that mostly we work, we are something of an invisible company. You don't want to see our sleeve, you want to see the menu. Manufacture wallet inserts for the pictures, okay. for your wallet. You don't want to see our sleeve, you want to see... You want to see the, the pictures picture of your sleeve. children, yes. Right. So that's very, very much our focus is to enhance and protect usually documents of some kind. Right. But whatever the package is that they're wanting protected, that's our, that's our goal is to help them pack, protect and enhance those products. So as a gentleman, if you've ever gone into a store to buy a new wallet and you open up that brand new wallet and there's that plastic insert of that couple that you've never met before right. and uh, those plastic inserts, that's you. Those, that's us. One of the things about your products is that you're one of the very few plastic manufacturing companies in California. Not many in our industry, certainly right. there are plenty in the plastics, general plastics industry, injection molding, right. vacuum forming, other types of processes. We have a very, very narrow niche serving printers and packaging companies with these products, again, that protect their products. This is something that's very key and part of the longevity of Domino's Plastics is because you have specifically, as they say, gone an inch wide and a mile deep. You've found a very specific niche in your industry, in the plastics business, using materials that don't use a lot of the harmful products or the other harmful chemicals in the products that you make. Yes. It's been a, a point of importance to us to try to get be out in the front of that. There's still tremendous demand. PVC has applications like with these products that we really haven't been able to find. We, we're continuing to try and we've tried very, very hard and we continue to work at this to try to find uh, those substitutes. But unfortunately, in a lot of these applications that are important, there is not a, yet a substitute for PVC that satisfies that specific need. You just brought up something that is very key and that's something that's very timely in this current age of COVID is that 
you used to make, or you still continue to make, just not nearly as much of the inserts, of the protectors that you once made prior to COVID. But when COVID hit, you saw, or your team saw, an opportunity to go into something else, which has allowed you to stay open, become an important necessary business, and most importantly, keep all of your employees employed. Yes. Tell us what a couple of those products are that you've adapted your manufacturing to. We were approached by one of the hospitals, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to know if we could manufacture a face shield, Mm -hmm. right? Face shields are made out of APET or polycarbonate, right? Clear Mm -hmm. shield. I think everybody's pretty familiar with those concepts now Uh with the foam headrest and elastic or cloth band. Mm -hmm. And we were blessed to be in a good position to step up into that, Mm -hmm. made the initial one for them and found the demand to be tremendous. (laughs) Uh, And so we've, uh, at this point, we've I think we've made an excess of half a million wow. of these now and continue as long as the need is there. I, you know, it's not very often that guys like us and people like us get to participate in something so important. I mean, we love what we do and I love my team. Right. And I'm just really proud to be part of what they were able to rise to and get these products out the door. So most of these have gone to the medical community, the lion's share of them have. Oddly enough, most of them have gone out of state. Okay. That's just where we seem to find where the demand, we were able to identify the demand and we've shipped five or 600,000 of these out now and continue to make them. And we also are manufacturing the polycarbonate and acrylic contact barriers. A lot of those are for local businesses, the freestanding, mm-hmm. like you can see on this one where it's built with the bin so that it rocks back and it's self-standing. It doesn't require any attachment. If you're listening to this program, What we have here is we've got a clear plexiglass. It's plexiglass, correct? Well, plexiglass is an actual brand name. It's a brand name, yeah. Okay. Polycarbonate or acrylic is typically, yeah. It's basically a trapezoid that's self-standing. So you can put this on a desk. You can put this on a counter. You can put this any place where you need to interface your employee or staff with the public. Right. Right. You bring up something that is very, very important in this, is that you are a manufacturing, and for those of who are losing this program, we are in the warehouse, yes, the manufacturing facility for Domino Plastics. So right. if you hear some extra noises in the background, that's because we are literally on the floor of the manufacturing facility. But you have gone through here at Domino's Plastics, and you've adapted to the economy. You've adapted yes. to the need. And you also have another product here that you were asked for specifically by a church group. Yeah, I believe it was a church. And describe for us what this is and what's so important about it. Right. So it's a light framed. All the ones we've made so far are either a PVC or a light aluminum frame. And then we would have a clear plastic, thin clear plastic screen. And this would then go... I think in this case, it goes literally between the pulpit area and the rest of the congregation so that oh. the congregation can see, but limit the, the exposure. The exposure. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that's interesting about all this, or fundamentally important, I should say, is that all of these products you can easily clean. Yes. One of the things I wanted to touch upon is that 
And this is something that's very unusual and one of the reasons why I wanted to come and talk to you about this is that you are a full service from beginning from design to mm -hmm. manufacturing to shipping of your product. So if you have a customer that comes in that needs something specific, you can actually design for them the product that they need and be able to design it, build it, and ship it to them, correct? Yes, that's our traditional model. Anyway, it was just kind of well-timed. We picked up uh, the CNC router, I think you saw, mm -hmm. the 5x10 CNC router that we have in our guy shop now. We picked that up just a couple months before all this <laughs> broke out. And uh, so, it, yeah, it's been giving us an opportunity again to... We have capacity for about, now at this point, we've got capacity for about 40,000 of these shields a day and about 100 plus of those barriers. Right. It's allowed us to be participant in helping this battle against this, this, against disease. this disease. Yeah. How long did it take you to go from design and implementation to manufacturing to profitability when this COVID virus hit? The first 10 days of full production... <laughs> was <laughs> 10 days yeah well the first 10 days were some real bloodletting i mean we it were 10 we, days we, not 10 weeks not 10 months but 10 days no it was about it was about 10 days that we were up in production and making both the barriers as well as the shields but then from that now it's time to start perfecting that and getting the capacities up and sure it requires some patience on the part of the first couple of customers grateful for them and gracious <laughs> but the team just and this is kind of what we do right i mean not not a lot of sizzle or sparkle but when it's something i'm just very proud of my team right they been, we've been doing this we actually started that with some with you know when i was doing acquisitions we bought four of our competitors in the last 15 years and the same dynamic exists right it just brings chaos and then they've got to sort it out and they do this one was the difference here, of course, was immediately go to two shifts. We're doing everything we can to try to just meet this need that is was so acute at the time, and they did, but not without its own pain. We'll talk a little bit more in the next segment about the initial pain of you taking over Domino's Plastics and how your success that you have achieved today and are taking this company into tomorrow all started from the chaos from when you first took over the company. Oh, yes. If Visioneer Nation wanted to get in touch with you to find out how they can purchase face shields, how they can get custom barriers made, how do they do that? Domino Plastics, right here in Bakersfield. Okay. The phone number, 661-396-3744. Mm -hmm. They can email me directly at tommyb at dominoplastics.com. And spell Tommy. T-O-M-M-Y and then B as, as in boy, as in, okay, Tommy B at dominoplastics.com. And it's domino Yeah, plastic. singular, domino plastics. Okay. And the website, of course, dominoplastics.com. And most of our products are on there as well. Are you getting the blue screen of death? Or worse, are you getting a black screen with white gibberish on it? Something that looks like it should be translated by an ancient Egyptian paleontologist? Have no fear. The highly trained staff at Bakersfield Bytes is here to serve you. As Kern County's number one rated computer repair store, your business's computers are in good hands. 
Need to upgrade your computer? No problem. Need a stronger network? No problem. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 and keep the backbone of your business in tip-top shape. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 or at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's Bakersfield, B-Y-T-E-S, dot com. Our guest this week is Tommy Bates, the owner of Domino Plastics. And what did Domino Plastics look like in 2007? I purchased Domino Plastics in February of 2006 okay. with a partner. Mm -hmm. In August of 2006, he had a massive heart attack and died. What? Yeah. It was a... Um, <laughs> How many months from the purchase so to when from he died? February to August or September, yeah. It's that uh, four months? Yeah, just a few months. And then we were... Then we... Recovered from that. It was obviously devastating. He was, sure. he was a dear friend as well as a partner. He was the senior of the two of us. The brains behind the operation. He was, by far. Fortunately, I was the operations guy. So then we consistently saw, in 2007, we saw some really aggressive growth. And in 2008, we didn't see that growth. <laughs> and we... And 2008 was the big economic crash. It was. And I wasn't prepared for that. Mm. I hadn't really put together any kind of a plan that would say we're kind of, you know, kind of cowboys anyway, so we're aggressive and it's all about growth and expansion. So then when all of a sudden that was no longer really an option at that point, or at least seemed so, I drew back. Now, this is, understand, this is a very old industry. Because the business had been in business for 30 years by that point. Yeah. Okay. And the industry itself is even older, right? right. It's been around a right. very, very, very long time. And a lot of people were looking to retire. Mm -hmm. In the 90s and even the late 80s, they were stuffing diamonds in their pockets, right? I mean, it was, right. they were just doing so very well in this industry. Where the industry that I came from, the customers were gold, right? They were right. Uh, very, very valuable and you treated them so. Royalty. One of the things that happened was that a lot of these guys that were they were reaching retirement age anyway, and then this hit, and times were hard. And they punched out. And they didn't want to put a dog in that fight anymore. Right. So I worked very hard to establish a reputation that said, when it's time to retire, work with Tommy and you'll be happy. The very first acquisition, and these all came to me. I didn't really pursue them, but first acquisition is something I have a background in. We had done a lot of acquisitions at uh, AIS where I came from. And that was down in San Diego and then yeah. you, you bought the business in Bakersfield and moved up. Okay. Right. So I had a bit of a background in that and in the finance side. The first opportunity that we went down there, I was introduced to the, the gentleman that was ready to retire. He'd done very well for himself, but it was a small plant. The number he gave me, I knew that I could completely screw it up and still make money. We could still do well, right? Nice, nice. And I did, and I did. Right? <laughs> you yeah. screwed up, you failed, and yeah. made money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, a, it was a win. And what it allowed me to do was, by using that, we pulled the whole plate thing operations up in here and allowed us to keep our crew working through some pretty dry times. So we picked up their customer base, we picked up their equipment, their dyes. Being a job shop, the number of dyes you have can make you very, very responsive to the market. Because many times someone will say, do you have this size sleeve? 
we have 3,000 dyes now as a result of those four acquisitions we've done. Nice. And so it's, we also have our own dye shop I bought during that same time frame because he wanted out as well. But we, now that we have 3,000 dyes, it's actually even with that dye shop pretty rare we have to make one because right. uh, we have pr pretty much any configuration someone's looking for. But you bring up something that's key on this, and that is even in the midst of the recession of 2008, 9, 10, 11, mm. <laughs> depending on what industry you were in, sure. you still were aggressive. You still went and looked for acquisitions, competitors in the industry, and took a look at what they could offer to you, how you could benefit from them, and if the deal was right, you bought them. Yeah. And it's not like you actively went out with the intention of buying out your competition, correct? Correct. Talk a little bit about the mindset of acquisitions a little bit, because as a small business owner, Acquisitions can be scary to people. Yes. To walk us through that very thing, because we are in a recession again, but this is also the time to buy if you have the ability to do it. So walk us through what are some of the guideposts that you have learned on acquisitions, on industries and businesses and companies that apply to Domino Plastics? So one example that I gave early on is way back in the days, the retail industry used to send an employee out to count the oil stains in the parking lot. If there was a lot of oil stains, then that meant people were broke and they're not getting their cars fixed. So you need to focus on discounts. Mm. If there are no oil stains, that means that people are a little more flush and you can focus on the upsell and the value sale. Uh. So what we have always tried to do is identify what those oil stains are for those acquisition targets that we might have. Oddly enough, though, they did literally all five of the acquisitions. I take that back. Four of them came, they were presented to me, right? I didn't go sure. looking for them. But you built the reputation that they felt comfortable selling their company, their yeah. baby, to you. Probably the crux, the most important thing for me was none of these were acquisitions we had to do. And that's key because I could start the conversations with, if I can't make this a big win for you, I don't have an interest. Right. Obviously, I have to do the numbers have to work, kind of like I talked about with the first one, right? right. I mean, the numbers have to work. But if in doing so, we were uniquely positioned, right? I've got the facility. I've got experts. I have employees that have been here 28 years. In this particular industry, we could fold those back in and, of course, cut a lot of the overhead. When you move that from its own, a different facility, you lose all that overhead. We were just, in all five cases, really, we were just in a position to give the seller a value that nobody else could come close. Now, it sounded like a cliche, so I'm going to ask you to repeat it again. But give us the analogy on the oil stains again. Okay. In the big days of retail, they would actually send the, an employee out, and they would literally count the number of oil stains. And how big they were. I hadn't thought about that, but the biggest thing they want to know is how many oil stains are there, right? right. Multiple cars will come and park and... And we just want to know, are there all, and I don't know the numbers, right, but right. are there a lot of oil stains or none? Let's just talk, it was right. more binary. They would, just, based on that, then they would say, okay, there's a lot of oil stains, which means people are broke. And people, when they're walking into our retail store, they're looking for deals. 
and they're buying potatoes. Not filet mignon. Exactly. And when those went away and they were light on oil stains on their parking lot, then they knew that this was a time to sell more value and the upselling, right? More filet mignon, right? You also brought up something that is also key in all of this because you had mentioned that through these acquisitions, you also inherited some of the employees. And some of those employees have been with you for 28 years, correct? Actually, the employees that I have now, I didn't bring any employees with me from any of the acquisitions. Oh, okay. It was these employees that were here, many of them were already here when I bought the company. Right. We hired them early on. They're just, and really, this, I would say the second key to acquisitions is do you have a team that can execute? That's really where you have a greater, there's two places where you have an opportunity to succeed or fail. The first is in the actual, they say that about real estate, you make your money when you buy, right? Right. The first is this deal structure itself. Right. And again, unless I could really give that seller value so that doing the seller, they were going to be better selling to me than they could literally anybody else, or I didn't want any part of it. The second side of that, the implementation side is, are we in a position to bring a preponderance of value to those customers? Right. Generally, the answer was always yes. We have more experience, more expertise, much more, I will go ahead and say, obsession over our customers and bringing that value to our customers than generally those that we bought did. And again, most of these guys, you couldn't break this business. They were in their heyday. They were just doing so, so well. They were popping diamonds, were, like you said. Right. And they were, these were smart people and very, very good. Most of them are smarter than me, for sure. <laughs> but in this era where we could then rally around to these customers and treat them like we're used to treating our customers. So I have customers to this day that we picked up in those first, that first acquisition that was two years after I bought Domino. I still have customers to this day. That's a payoff. But you also mentioned something in passing that's key. And that is, as you were analyzing a business to purchase, an acquisition, you also had some of your employees take a look at what that company was doing and their expertise on their particular niche within the company, within the manufacturing, to help you make an educated choice on that acquisition. You get better at everything. So the first acquisition, I went, we made the deal, let's say on a Thursday or a Friday, went down there with a bobtail truck, loaded everything, literally, you know, if it wasn't bolted down, I took, took it. it. Right. We brought up, and many of my poor employees are still scarred to this day because they walk in on that following Monday, and this place was just a disaster because we just stuffed everything in and said, okay, you guys, You're make messing this work. with my space. Make this work. So then as things progressed, you start to pull in, yeah, a little more of the expertise from your internal group to predict that success that you're going to demand as soon as you ink the deal. We tended to get better each time, fortunately. It still brings a lot of chaos and a lot of stress because that next 60 days after an acquisition is really where you're going to determine whether that was a success or a failure. And their customers that you inherited Mm -hmm. or that you bought are going to sit there and wonder if you're up to mustard, up to snuff. You have to turn them into raving fans of your company in that first 60 days, which can be a challenge because with a job shop, some of those customers may not buy. They may have just bought and they buy every six months, which means you've got four or five months that are going to pass 
but we learned things, right? We learned how to have the seller soften that, mm -hmm. right, in their communications with Do the, the customer. Do the warm handshake introduction. Right, right. yeah, warm handoffs, and we did, a, we did a lot of that. And then the structure of the deal that allow it to, again, make sure that it was a win for everyone. And you're still doing it. Oh, yeah, we'll do more, I'm sure. I, yeah. What will Domino Plastics look like in three years? I've been wrestling with that a lot. My son, Joshua, who works here with me, we've been wrestling with this concept of we've grown by adapting. We've grown, and certainly the acquisitions, it's just one of the tools in my toolbox. Right. And I don't have many of them. <laughs> I really don't have many things I do. Contrary well. to what you see behind us. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't have things, I, and everyone here knows me, and they know why. But it is something I know how to do. The key, though, is in identifying where are those places that we can bring, again, that preponderance of value. Mm. Right? I'm not trying to overstate that, but I don't think I can. My experience has been, and others, I'm sure, have a different perspective, but the amount that you can actually influence with all the, there's a lot of noise out there. And I forgot the numbers, but there's the amount of just, ads and marketing that's, right. that, we're, that we're bombarded with. So the amount of influence that you're able to have over who's going to buy your product is so dwarfed by whether or not that product genuinely brings value to somebody. Right now, a lot of our wrestling has been, how do we bring more value? What would be the acquisitions, be it equipment or companies? What would be the acquisitions that would allow us to bring more value to those existing customers, right? Or to approach another facet of the market that would allow the combined to bring uh, more value. I did that specifically with Harbor Freight. We do a lot for Harbor Freight. Mm -hmm. They're a great company to work with and we've fortunate to have them as a customer. But I literally went down there and had a discussion with them and said, hey, I buy companies, what do you need? And I'll buy a company that can do it. Right. And they were gracious and they started sending me RFQs. Right. That's actually was what ended up with us buying the CNC machine was some RFQs that came from Harbor Freight and they said, can you make these for us? And I said, well, not yet, but Next week, soon, yeah, in, exactly. in 10 days, you yeah, will. Yeah, in 10 days. <laughs> and, um, and again, that happens and you escort chaos into the company for a little bit and then that same adaptability lies at the, that's kind of at the character of the company and it's the character of the employees. You bring up something that's key in all of this which is what the company looks like in three to five years will be largely dependent upon what your customers' needs are. Exactly. We've explored some of the 3D printing, right, the additive manufacturing. It's a good fit with some of the suite of products we have or services we have now, mm -hmm. the more rigid plastics. And it's certainly not, we're not just focused on plastics, but it is where a lot of our relationships lie mm -hmm. right now. But if the materials do change, you might shift out of plastics. We are right, exactly. We're right there. This is something that's also key and important to the future of the company, is that you're willing to go and talk to your customers and find out what their needs are, but you also, on a bigger macro scale on this, you're willing to sit down and say, as things change and we need to stay and remain aggressive, we can already in-house make these changes. And so you've already put plans into motion or have them ready to go that say, as things change, we can move this out, we can shift this around, we can put this in place, we can move this personnel around. You're already thinking about 
what things look three, four, five, ten years down the road. Yeah. Some of that relates to the why. What is the why? Another one I wrestled a lot with is in the last 12 months. I uh, was given a book to read, and right in the middle of that book, it was a Patrick Lencioni, one of his books. Right. And he was asking that question, why? And I realized at that point, I got stuck in the middle of the book because why does Domino exist? Why am I doing this? And you know what? I would like to explore that more right after this. Let's do that. Hi, everyone. I am Ann Hauser, Marketing Director for the Palms at San Lorenz Senior Living. Hi, everyone. It's Jennifer Pitcher, Local Public and Government Affairs Consultant. This is David Collins with Commercial Trade. Hello, my name is Chad Tonko, founder and CEO of Primaris Market Development. What do these visioneers all have in common? They send us a quick 30-second video with their name, the business with whom they're associated, why they subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Program, and they emailed it to us at sbc at smallbusinesscelebration.com. Their videos all appeared on the Small Business Celebration Program, and yours can too. Simply shoot a quick 30-second video with your name, the business with whom you're associated, why you subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Program, and email it to us at sbc at smallbusinesscelebration.com. Your video could appear on the next Small Business Celebration Program, and we look forward to seeing your video today. We're here with Tommy Bates, the owner of Domino Plastics, and you enjoy motorcycles. I do. And you've had several. Yes, I've had a few. Tell us, well, what are you riding right now? Right now, it's a recent purchase. I don't buy them new. Uh-huh. Nothing like dumping a brand new motorcycle to really take the spirits from my guy. So <laughs> uh, I just bought a BMW GS 1150. So it's an adventure bike. Uh-huh. My first of that kind. Why did you choose this kind of bike? It's a challenging bike to ride. Oh, it's not, not like, like a cruiser, cruiser where you just where, sit back and... yeah. This was much more challenging. Okay. Not uncommon in the last week for me to say, I hate this bike. <laughs> um, but those challenges are because it's designed to perform. Mm. Right? Without those challenges, you can have it lowered, you can have it throttled, but you're not going to get the same performance. Right. So they kind of go hand in hand. Ironically, I've heard now over and over again for people who are saying, yep, at first you want to modify the bike, and then if you do, you're going to come back six months later and not demodified and take it back. Right? <laughs> BMW is an awesome vehicle company. Right. And their engineers are motorcycle riders. Right? right. They're all about the performance and that harmony between the rider and the, and the bike. Now it's me learning how to operate within that harmony. But it's also part of your growth as an individual because you started off with a simple bike. You mm -hmm. went to a cruiser, which is a laid back street bike. And now you've gone after something a little more adventurous. Yeah, pretty standard diminishing return kind of, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you start with an 800, and then you go to a 1500. And, right. Uh, this one has a lot more power than, than anything I've ever been on in my life. And a lot more performance to it, a lot more power going to the ground. Cruisers aren't known for turning, and these are known for performance, right? So Threading the needle. Yeah, exactly. What have you learned as a motorcyclist? in riding and cornering and threading the needle that you apply to domino plastics? The one thing that kind of stands out is when you get on a motorcycle, and most 
anybody who's ridden a motorcycle much, I think would agree with this. You have to pretty much behave like everyone's out to kill you. Okay. Right? I mean, you have to think offensively. Yeah, you do. One of the rules we have here, kind of in our senior manual, is first, don't lose. Much more important, poker is kind of the same way. It was an old pastime of mine, but the you know, first rule is don't lose. Mm. So if you get to the end of a ride and you're able to get off that bike and walk away from it, that's a win. Sure, right? sure. You didn't lose. Right? Right. And then from there, you can push things. But what you find is you can't really concentrate on anything but riding that bike. There's not a lot of distractions that are good distractions you know, when you're riding a motorcycle. So that's right. probably it. Right? None of this stuff comes naturally to me. I'm not the kid that got on and stood on the bike. and I'm like, This is work for me. It's something you've learned. It didn't come just as a gift. Yes, very little does. And yet, at the same time, you have a tendency to want to force an inside straight. You have that beaten out of you, though, over time, right? <laughs> okay. And so uh, that's really kind of where I was kind of heading when I was when I was talking earlier, is that you start learning that the risks that you take really need to have just be buried in wisdom. And planning. And not gambling. Big difference. And I've done a lot of that. And I think it's easy to kind of underestimate the impact. One of the things that is very a realization that I had was the impact that my mistakes had on the you know twenty five families that depend on depend you. on Domino Classic. Right. That was probably one of the most sobering areas. That's where I was. The Patrick Lencioni book. It was called The Advantage, right? I think it's called. And he was asking the why. Right. First, you got to know why you're doing this. Why Domino Classics and why I'm here. If you had asked me that a year into it, it would have been a much different answer. But I realized. It was really had become for the sake, almost for the sake of itself. And what I mean by that is, uh, certainly for my family, I'm doing this. Why else do you do this, right? You do this for my wife and my kids and my grandkids, most importantly. But it's also for the domino. This is a very tight group, and we work hard together. We adapt together. We party together. Last November, I took everybody to Vegas. We took a trip to Vegas, stayed at Treasure Island, I think it was, and an awesome three-day stint for all of us. And really the reason is almost like, forget the term, but like a, more like a kingdom that is there for its people than some great business goal. Mm-hmm. Kind of recognizing that really had a, a sobering impact on me. Then when I thought, wow, I look back and look at all these mistakes I had made and the chaos that reigns when you do an acquisition not wisely. Or, you know, right. That's affecting these people that I, that I love and care about so much. Sure. But learning how to set yourself up for a full house and not trying to go for an inside straight or trying to set up your hand for two pair to win comes from wisdom. This comes from crashing your bike, laying it down hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What was something that happened since you've owned Domino's Plastics that has served as a reminder and a continuing guidepost that you use today? A few years back, we had an opportunity that came up, and I was a salesman on the job. I think I may have even taken the call by, by accident, and it was a job from pharmaceutical. We made a prototype for them with a sample machine, not one of our production machines, but a sample machine. 
and I closed that deal. And we were three, four times the cost of the next lower competitive bid. But they loved the product so much that they said, we'll put up with that. We'll pay the extra. But they needed two million sleeves in about three or four weeks. Mm. It was in December, and they kept putting off the PO and putting off the PO, and it finally dropped. We had about two and a half weeks to deliver this. Built the dies here, went to work, and realized that these machines couldn't produce them oh. profitably. And so we would come out, and remember, these are experienced operators. This isn't because I had, you know, this was all on me. I had nobody to blame. We had done them in the lab, so to speak, right? right, very successfully, but couldn't replicate that success on the actual production machines. Mm. And they paid me half up front. And then everything from there went bad. Oh, no. Right? Okay. So I got about 20 pallets of material, and it was all bad. Mm. We couldn't use any of it. Mm. That pushed us back you know, even further. Recovered from that. Started making that product, found out that our machines really weren't suited. It was just kind of almost like the tolerance stack up thing where there were just too many things that had to go just right for that, that to run. And you can't have that on a, right. a, on a shop floor. Others might be able to. We didn't have it. Well, I eked out my million pieces to him. I wasn't going to let him get hurt, but we eked out our million pieces. I think what actually happened was the purpose for the sleeves didn't turn out as good as they thought it was going to be, so they were kind of happy about it. But we got a million of them out, and to this day, everybody will refer to that as kind of Tommy's Waterloo. It, <laughs> well, because what here's actually the, what Christmas Day we worked, and nobody likes working on Christmas. Oh no, my wife, who is the absolute best part of me and the saint, she said you have one of these and you just <laughs> spend it right uh so and we've run into those times before but you don't duplicate that mistake right? okay put it on a machine and let's not that was a hard lesson to learn what have you done to prevent that from happening again one was trying not to push that pendulum too far right that was mm. a big job and it was one that in the normal course would not have could not have wouldn't have been a problem right but because it was such a short Time frame. There was no buffer for recovery. You don't push the pendulum so far. So we we do a lot of that kind of thing still for our customers because we want to provide them that value. If they need a sleeve with some unique characteristic, we're going to do what we can to make that happen. And right. we'll go out on the edge. But some of those are only a thousand pieces, right? Maybe six hundred dollar. Right. Not a million. Like, not two million. Yeah, that is one. And then here, this is one of those that. That particular dynamic, it will even come up where Neo, my VP, or Fabiola, my operation manager, will say, this is feeling a little bit like Merck. And, <laughs> and I'll say, okay, so let's do that. So that was probably the one that was the most probably traumatic for the whole team. What is one thing that Visionary Nation could do today to grow a strong and profitable business? It's pretty easy to feel like you're just not quite adequate for the job. Mm. So part of it is... Find those subjects. I don't do much reading for leisure. I don't read any mysteries or anything. But part of it is what parts of my character or knowledge gaps, if I can fill those in, you know, help me to not make all those mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the things. I'm, you'll not interview anybody who's made larger or more mistakes than I. That's just kind of a, 
unfortunately a hallmark of my career. Right. You read in hopes of avoiding some of those. I got the concept of not losing that came from Sun Tzu. So I think that's mostly what it is. And then I, you know, read the Bible for my faith reasons, right? And sure. And your faith is very important to it's you. It's very important to me. Right. Other than the Bible, what are you reading right now? My daughter gave me a book by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Daring Greatly. When your adult kids give you a book, it's kind of like them giving you a breath mint. <laughs> okay. No, you right, got, you, sure. to, you know you just you want to read it if they do. That's one I'm in middle of right now. Not you, really a lot. It's unlike most any other book that I've read. How so? It's more about vulnerability and kind of daring to push past your all calm insecurities or facades that we have. It's definitely a book worth reading, but it's definitely a bit of a contrast to most of the other books that I would sure. typically choose to read. If Visionary Nation wanted to get in touch with you to find out how they can purchase face shields, how they can get custom barriers made, how do they do that? Domino Plastics, right here in Bakersfield. Okay. The phone number, mm-hmm. 661-396-3744. They can email me directly at tommyb at dominoplastics.com. And spell Tommy. T-O-M-M-Y and then B as, as in boy. As in, okay. Tommy B at dominoplastics.com. And it's Domino Yeah, singular, Domino Plastics. Okay. And the website, of course, dominoplastics.com. We can be reached at, and most of our products are on there. Are you getting the blue screen of death? Or worse, are you getting a black screen with white gibberish on it? Something that looks like it should be translated by an ancient Egyptian paleontologist? Have no fear. The highly trained staff at Bakersfield Bytes is here to serve you. As Kern County's number one rated computer repair store, your business's computers are in good hands. Need to upgrade your computer? No problem. Need a stronger network? No problem. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 and keep the backbone of your business in tip-top shape. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 or at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's Bakersfield, B-Y-T-E-S, dot com. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioner? Join the Visioner Tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. 
Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.